Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. What's up, my beautiful marketing people? We are back with another episode of Mind Your Marketing today, joining us from the Nutter, and she went to the, or the, Ohio State University, uh, is uh, Alicia Long. Alicia, how you doing? Good. How are you, Jordan? Thanks for having me. I am good. I had to drop that Ohio State reference. I know uh, people who are Buckeyes are very, very proud of that. So That's I right. always want to uh, give the stage for that for a second before we hop in. Go Bucks. <laughs> Let's jump right in. People who heard it and they're like, okay, Nutter, what's this? They're probably going, what the heck is that? So yeah. give the breakdown. What's the company? Walk me through the idea, getting it to here, and then we'll jump in. Yeah, sounds good. Happy to uh, share a 30,000 foot view of the company. So Nutter, the Nutter, uh, you probably saw us on Shark Tank, season 14, most recent episode. So we're a consumer tech company. We make plant-based milk makers, as well as subscription for anything that you possibly need to make your own plant-based milk. So it's kind of like Nespresso, but for plant-based milk, because nowadays people drink almond milk, oat milk, and we go to the store and purchase those store-bought plant-based milk, and then there are basically overpriced water. <laughs> so a lot of them, they only have like less than 2% of almonds. And so it's not very healthy and it has a lot of emulsifiers, gum, added sugar, rapeseed oil, things that would create like inflammation longer term if you consume that every day. So as a Chinese immigrant, I grew up drinking homemade plant-based milk. So when I was pregnant with my son, I wanted to make my own, but the process is just very long and lengthy. If you use a blender, then you have to use a cheesecloth and you have to strain it and create a mess and then you have to clean it. So, you know, as a busy mom, like I don't have time for that, but I do want to drink healthy. So that's why I created Nutter. Basically, we wanted to provide a convenience for those of you that wanted to drink healthy. So that's how you know, Nutter was created. So in 2021, that's way when we got to work. So it was created during the pandemic and I was pregnant, right, with my son. So it took us about a year at the probably in mid 2020, it was like at the beginning of a pandemic and we started product development. And then we finished development in July, we took it to market. And then the first year we did a close to a million dollars within five months. So we just knew instantly was a product market fit. Sorry to jump in. Yeah. No. When you took it to market, was that largely D2C online? Did you have like a community or did you just like go retailers? How did you do that? It was basically D2C. We did a lot of like, I did a lot of dirt work in contacting influencers, people who have authority in their community, right? So, and then two years ago, people starting to realize that there is a lot of junk in their plant-based milk, like Oatly and, and Almond Breeze. So that's how we started. And then we kind of combined it with performance marketing and took it to market. Now we are live on Target.com, on Williams Sonoma, Surla Top. We're talking with Starbucks and Costco, activating a lot of retail relationships. Cool. So then that brings you to today, you're, you're pushing for the retail relationships. Obviously, the trend towards health and, you know, I, I would say a pushback against dairy. I live in Los Angeles. So like if you go to get a coffee, it's, you know, default is you're getting some sort of nut milk yeah. and oat milk. You're doing something, right? Yeah. Now you before were a recruiter. Was Did you always have, you know, a tech recruiter? Did you have this, like, how long was this idea percolating for in your head where you're like, I want to do this. I want to get into this, like, consumer tech. Or was it just kind of a happenstance? Like, what was the, really the, the thing that brought this idea to say, okay, it's time for me to 
press go. So I was in tech for quite a long time, like eight or nine years. And I was working for Google. And I was literally just staring at the micro kitchen and look at how many cartons of milk, uh, like plant-based milk that people just go through on a daily basis. And I was like, I can't imagine in coffee shops and how many cartons that coffee shops go through, right? And I'll just simply ask questions, you know, at a coffee shop. And then they're like, oh, we throw away like 60 milk cartons. And on busy days, like 100 cartons. And I was like, you know, those milk cartons are not recyclable. So it all has to go to landfill. And I went plant-based at that time when I was a tech recruiter. And then I lost 20 pounds. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I'm just trying to be drinking healthy and also be sustainable at the same time. So I was in Baria for a number of years. And then what's really interesting is that I basically work for a lot of like larger companies in tech, smaller companies in like fintech. But what's really interesting is food tech was also rising, but women have like very special relationships with food for centuries. And usually women are the ones who make decisions about food at home, right? And then like in growing up, it's like my mom always being in the kitchen, my grandma's always in the kitchen. And that just like, it's been out like this for hundreds of years. And that creates a special relationship. But then looking at the tech world, especially food tech, there's not that many women founders in the food tech. It's all predominantly men, especially in the kind of VC backed food tech companies. So then that's when I had the idea and I go, you know what? I wanted to build a venture. I want to go with a VC route and I'm going to exit at the peak of the bell curve because you know what? This plant-based milk maker space is probably going to be saturated five, 10 years from now. But now is a blue ocean for us. So that's kind of how I sparked the idea of I want to build a venture-backed company. Did you run into challenges with getting backing? you know, with that all in mind? Or was were people pretty receptive to, well, I guess, like the idea was there, you know, on a scale of one to one to challenging, how hard was that, uh, you know, that initial push for raising capital? You know, I think it's twofold, right? After talking with so many different female entrepreneurs, and then it can be a challenge, but it can be an unfair advantage. What I mean by that is I have, yeah, at the beginning, and I was like, oh my gosh, and this is harder than I thought. You know, when I talk with VCs and some of them, they don't even drink plant-based milk. They don't even know you can actually make plant-based milk. So it's like trying to sell lipsticks to a, you know, 70-year-old men, right? <laughs> it's really hard for, for them to understand the brand ethos behind it. Now, when I started to speak with female founder-focused VCs, or they have mandates about you know, we wanted to support minority or, you know, we want to support female founders. And I found it's a little bit less resistant. And then I met some really amazing female founders and they are just absolutely blown my mind and they're Google venture backed and they are, you know, government backed and have all different grants for female founders. And I was like, wow, I did not know it exists. It can definitely be a way to fundraise right? And then being a female entrepreneur or minority. So I think there are resources out there, which is going to have to be able to focus our energy on talking to the right people. I love it. And then one of the things I do ask people who've been on Shark Tank is just, do you see a shark, what I call like the Shark Tank bump anytime the episode airs? <laughs> do, you, do you all notice? Do you go, oh, the episode yeah. must have aired yesterday. 
Definitely. Uh, we saw a quite significant increase. I think yield, uh, like after we uh, aired, it was like $500,000 increase in sales. But also we had retailers, um, Costco reached out to us after the show. And I think it was a great turnout, even though we, we didn't get a deal. But I think just for what's worth, you know, we were asking for like 500000 for 5% of the business. And then they want four times of that. <laughs> so it just, you know, not fair for the existing investors, but we were able to raise close to 1.8 million after the show. So I think resources out there, but my advice is like, don't give away that much of an equity when you don't have to. Yeah, that's one thing with that show. They'll definitely position you to like, it'll just screw your cap table. But you get the free, now every time that airs, there's a free commercial. So it's also that uh, <laughs> in primetime TV. I love it. Now, we talked a little bit before we hit record about... <laughs> e-com, where it was, where it's going, right? Now, marketers, I swear, I feel like people are going to like talk about like before iOS 14, you know, before iOS 14, when we could all just, <laughs> ROAS was king and we could turn a profit no matter what. And then obviously iOS updated privacy and it became a lot harder to scale profitably with, you know, DTC brands on social um, and social ads. And then now we've seen a big push. So that's where we were. Now where it's going, I'm interested to hear how you're approaching e-com, how you are growing the channel and what you've seen work, what you've seen doesn't kind of where you're at with it personally and maybe where the company is also going. Yeah, great question. I called the time before I was 14, the old e-commerce era. I call the time after I was 14, the new e-commerce era. <laughs> so that's how I named my podcast, this new e-commerce era, is how do you build an efficient marketing roadmap before you dump money in your advertising. Because the era of pay your way to get the top line revenue in order to get a successful exit is over. Because we've seen plenty of brands that done that before I was 14. You see brands that pump you know, $20 million of ads to get $20 million of advertising. But that might be an extreme, but at the same time, we see a lot of companies are not be able to find the in-channel efficiency, right? And that us included. So how do we solve that problem is by taking a look at different channels. And then how do we allocate? You know, we, we take a look at it as a funnel approach, right? You know, how do we get the traffic as top of the funnel? And then we'll also have the middle of the funnel and bottom of the funnel. And then we need to fix that leaky bucket before we put more advertising spend, no matter it's Facebook or Google or influencers costs, etc. So we need to really fix that bucket before we take a look at the top line traffic. So what I mean by that is, you know, are you building a really great retention program? So how's your email SMS conversion, right? And then also how is the different sales channels? Are you activating on, you know, not only just a website, but also Amazon, but also, you know, TikTok shop. Are you set up on TikTok shop? Because people nowadays that buy wherever, it's not only just a website, people go through the Instagram ad, they don't buy. They just go to straight to Amazon and then boom, it'll be by my doorstep in the next like four hours, right? And then you never know because people do whatever is convenient for them. So our job is make sure that we create a community and we also capture the traffic on the bottom of the funnel. So when I say community over commodity is that it can be easy to just promote about like any products, Amazon maybe buy this, et cetera, but why? Like the reason why we're able to protect our premium pricing is because we build a brand. 
We build a brand that people recognize that is on a speedboat of be the number one in the market, right? For the plant-based milk maker industry. Now, whatever the brand you're in, like try to be capturing the top 10% of the market penetration. Like we're not greedy. We just want 10% of market penetration. And that's like $300 million, 10% of the $30 billion. But at the same time, you think about how big is your market, right? And then how do you penetrate top 10% of the traffic? And then how do you want to present yourselves as a brand? You're not just a product, you're a person. You wanted to talk about your story, right? This is what I talk about to my students all the time is that if you're just promoting a hair oil, why do I buy yours instead of like millions of other brands on Amazon? Give me a reason, right? And if you're able to articulate that through the lens of content, you win that organic traffic. The brand, the companies who can win the organic traffic wins the market. I'm a strong believer of that. And then if you pair with advertising, you'll be able to significantly drive down your CAC, drive up your LTV, and then you show the market efficiency over time. That's when you're investable. I talk with 300 different VCs. It's not that VCs are not investing. VCs are investing in the most efficient companies. They don't want to dump a million dollars, $2 million in when the company is burning so much. When they see, okay, there is a path to break even, there's path to profitability. That's when I invest in $3 million and knowing that I'm going to see my money back. So that is my kind of two cents on in this capital market. And how do you think about marketing efficiency? Yeah, for me, it's like, uh, I want to think that's spot on. And I think the shift is like getting from just such a, such a soul, like just row ass mindset to more of a MER, like this is how is everything supporting everything in omni-channel. And when we do this, like you said, is organic content fostering community? Is it telling stories of the customer or the challenge that the brand is taking on? Is there something compelling that lets that customer see themselves, you know, using that product and embodying that story that was told, right? Versus this phone case protects this phone. I have no idea what the brand is. This was a price decision that I made on Amazon. I'll go the minute it breaks, I'll buy a different phone case. But the phone beneath it's going to be an iPhone every time because Apple's telling me the better story, right? So I also look at like, where does the brand fit in? If you're going to be a premium price product, there has to be that story that goes along, right? And those different types of stories. So I love that. Now, as you all are doing this and approaching it, where do you see short form content kind of fitting into, you know, your content mix? Yeah. I have some thoughts on short form content, but I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, I, I think we should do both. I mean, I was just on the call with our marketing team. Like, you know, nowadays, every single platform, it looks very similar, right? You will see the vertical short form, you see the horizontal long form. And then you also can think about like mobile application with the horizontal long form, how you can repurpose them. So the, <laughs> the habit of us uh, doing like creating content is not just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to create a TikTok video. No, it's I'm creating a video and I'm posting on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube short and Pinterest, right? And then all of the platforms have the same exact content, just vertical, right? And then meanwhile, when I am making this video, guess what? I have another set of phones that's doing TikTok live, Instagram live, YouTube live, and Pinterest live. I'm multi-purposing and then capturing all the traffic that is free. Yeah, I love it. And on that, I think the thing that people miss is like, they think, oh, 
that's too much of one message. People will get tired of it. And it's like, no, we don't know what's going to hit, right? Right. We're going to take this. This podcast will go on the Spotify Apple. It'll go on YouTube. We'll then splice it down. We'll then take quotes out and make graphics of those quotes. I will also do a slideshow to be like how e-com has changed. And I'll put a quote from you in there. And it's like this one conversation will create 40 pieces of content without blinking. Yep. And one of the ones that I might think is like, ah, maybe that's a bit repetitive. That could be the one that, that hits, right? Yeah. So that's the other part that I think is, is so crucial not to get, we might get tired of the marketing message and the materials, but the consumer might be seeing it for the first time. There's millions and millions and millions of them. They haven't seen you or heard of you. So yeah, so definitely get yourself out there. I think it's, especially it's free, right? And then organic content has been like, uh, in the past couple of years, and just being overlooked because people always think that advertising is the way to go. Well, really, to me, organic and paid should be like working in tandem because advertising, yes, it, it sets the interest, the age, the geographic location. But guess what? You can also train your algorithm in your organic channels to perform the same way. Because too many like brands, I don't know how their TikTok is managed by who, but the person who's in charge of the TikTok account, they better not watch any video that is not related to the brand. Because if they do, guess what? It's going to be labeled. If you're a coffee shop owner, and if you watch like dog videos, and TikTok is going to be confused. And they're going to be promoting to more people who don't care about coffee. So that's what I try to tell you know my team, because I have like 30 interns, and they're all in charge of different accounts. And I say, you better not watch ramen videos on the main account. <laughs> I know. It's like if you find yourself getting sucked into one of those compelling videos where they're like make putting together a car in one minute, you're gonna need to swipe, swipe, get back to the get back to the ones that are on brand. Now, with all of this, you now have a new podcast coming out, right? So tell people what that podcast is about, the name of it, and where they will be able to find it. Yeah. So the name of the podcast is called New E-Commerce Era. <laughs> so very straightforward. And then we talk a lot about what we just talked about, um, just in terms of how do you leverage organic social? How do you advertise in this stage of the game, like after iOS 14? And then, you know, anything that is related to, like I'm all, because I'm a, a startup, right? I'm very scrappy. And I think most of the small businesses are, like when you're first starting out, you don't have a lot of capital to throw in the performance marketing, but you want efficiency, right? So that's what I'm talking about. So I talk a lot about TikTok marketing and the new form of TikTok marketing, which is TikTok Live, TikTok Shop. And how do you monetize on that as a business? Because all of that is about to change. And because TikTok marketing has exist, you know, they've, being around since 2014 in China. It was called ByteDance, right? It's called Douyin. So that has existed over the last few years. And then literally brands in China, in the UK, in the eight other countries, they've been on TikTok shop and they have changed how e-commerce is shaped. Because right now we're still using Amazon, right? But what you'll see is Amazon starting to doing Amazon Live. Why? Because that is the most interactive way to interact with customer. It's just like QVC, right? And then that you get to interact and you get to see the product and you get to ask questions, you get to like, you get a comment, you get to share, you get to interact, engage with the brand. So it's literally like QVC, but on TikTok, which is TikTok live. But at the end of the day, Amazon is not an entertainment platform. People don't go on Amazon to get entertained to watch their live, but people do on TikTok live. 
And then if they really like it, now this stage of the game, you better like kind of present yourself as uh, um, this is not something you need. This is something you want. Like I really want it. And then this is when people like, oh, TikTok made me buy it. Like 99% of the time when I buy on TikTok, it's like something that I, I didn't think I need. So as a brand, if you like want to get yourself out there, Definitely um, utilize TikTok Live and TikTok Shop. That's what I talk about a lot on my uh, new e-commerce era podcast. I love it. And you can check that out. We'll also link to the podcast, which is up running. Alicia, thank you so much for coming on today. Also, let people know where they can get their own nutter to start making great nut milk at home. Yeah, for sure. You can look us up on uh, Instagram at Nutter Machine, uh, N-U-T-R Machine. Also on TikTok, it's just Nutter and UTR. And also I have a new masterclass coming up for TikTok marketing. And it's just called New E-commerce Era. You can look it up and I'll drop my website on the podcast as well. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today, Alicia. This has been really fun to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jordan. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Sheldon. Hit that like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff at the bottom of your app. And I'll catch you next time. Thank you